Do I look fat? Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Do I Look Fat podcast. It's your girl, Steffi Kiss. This week's guest is a Bronx native, a fellow Cancerian, and artist provocateur, Tokyo Pro. Hey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm well. Um, So me and Tokyo met via the interwebs. I don't even know. I can't even pinpoint. Like, we've just been following each other for a minute or whatever. So, but he is a fellow Bronx native um, and an artist. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, I, um, I like to, I like to call myself a renaissance punk where, you know, I just, I kind of do whatever, you know, like I came up, um, doing like freelance graphic design photography videography so like all the creative arts i i'm pretty much versed in um but i'm just very heavy on like do-it-yourself energy that's pretty much where it came from like i'm i'm a rapper and i like to keep things real like Mm self-contained like if i don't have like a crew of like trusted individuals around me i'll just go ahead and i'll do it myself so there's really not a lot of things i don't do as far as like creatively um but at the core i'm a poet i'm a rapper a, a performer actually that is in fact where we met just it was it was more of like a like an impassing thing it was like i performed at a place where your sister was painting Yes, that is true. Mm-hmm. That just kind of happened. Yeah. And just like you said, it just it just kind of snowballed organically from there. Yeah, Because it was really um, in passing. Like you performed. I was I was really like um, entertained by your performance. I was like, wow, like I wanted to know a little bit more. And then I ended up following you on Instagram and it just it just went from there. But, you know, you just never know like when and where you can meet people in passing and then find them online, which is crazy. A ton of my like online friendships have been actually people I've met in person just in a very, very light way. Like people who, you know, I've I've been drunk with this person and we've and we talked for like two hours at the bar and then I left mm-hmm. and they found me or I found them. And then we just, you know, kept the friendship going on on Instagram. And a lot of times is where it stays. A lot of times, I mean, if it weren't for the pandemic, I think we probably run into each other at, at like, mm-hmm. at like events at and things point, like that. Yeah. But like, because of the pandemic, we just been mostly, mostly right. internet <laughs> That's folk. real pre-pandemic talk. And it's kind of weird because it's like, will it ever come to that point again where you're just meeting all of these people in passing, especially in New York? Like that has dropped so drastically. It's, it's actually kind of weird, right? Because, um, you know, the governor is aggressively pushing reopening. Like he started, like he was kind of like right. dabbling in it with like indoor dining. And now he's just like, nah, by February 23rd, we're opening indoor dining again. We're, uh, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna reopen arenas. All right. We lost too much money at this point. Like that's basically what it's saying to me. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, if, all right, if you think the states mm-hmm. lost money, imagine the restaurant owners that had to go to the trouble of building these heated booths and try to pivot as hard as they can to accommodate the pandemic. 
and now they just pretty much mm-hmm. wasted that money yeah and they got to get back to full capacity now it's we done did a thing with this thing it's all a mess (laughs) and it's freaking ridiculous honestly i i I wouldn't know how to fix it like so i'm not gonna sit here and act like i know but it's just like there has to be a better way like people have to really sit down and think about this shit because i I don't what they're doing just doesn't make sense to me but whatever it it really is that in a nutshell. Like, I, there has to be a better way. Like, I know there is. I know I might not know it off the top of my head, but I think that, shoot, if 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 ten politicians sat in a room together and talked about one thing and stayed focused, I think that we could actually get right back on track. Yeah, I think we could have been back mm-hmm. on track a lot earlier. I mean, it's it's just been a lot. I mean, we've had a lot going on, like. In it, I, I always tend to remind myself that it's not just the pandemic yeah. that's getting to us. It's a lot of things. It's like our political climate, the social climate. Uh, shoot, the internet has been kicking our right. asses for years. And, and we're just kind of getting to critical mass with like the consequences of overusing the internet and relying mm-hmm. on technology. We're just coming to a head with all these things. So it's almost like too much to worry about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's like the pandemic was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. So all of this stuff has been happening for years and years and years. And then the pandemic happens and it's like, okay, now everybody's just (laughs) fucked. Like we've been trying to warn you for for a minute to like chill in these certain areas. And now y'all going to have to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, you're going to learn today. Literally. Right. All right, so we're going to get into the icebreaker, okay? So what I like to do is I like to ask a couple of would-you-rather questions. I'm going to give you two scenarios. You let me know which one you would rather and why, okay? So the first one is, would you rather have no taste or be colorblind? Mm. Mm. Just came right in with with the toughest one. You wouldn't think it was, but like... All right, so I think that I would rather be colorblind. Like, if I had to, if I had to choose, probably be colorblind. Mm -hmm. I love food. I'm like a, I, I am really, and I didn't realize until the pandemic actually how in love with food I am because I just wanted to cook everything. When you were making all (laughs) of your own food. So, like, if I couldn't (laughs) taste anything, like, honestly, if I got COVID and lost my taste, I would be more miserable off that alone than anything else. Mm. Yeah, not being able to taste any of your food has to suck. Like, you would never, I would never want to eat. Like, for what? Like a a carnation instant breakfast or something. It's all the same. Right. I mean, so like a world without color sucks. Like that would be trash, but there's so many other forms of art that aren't visual. I, I, so. I that's what really that's what really did it for me cuz as I as I said colorblind, I had a bit of like a cringe in my heart because I love like art. Like museums are my thing. Mm-hmm. So like if I had to walk through a room full of I don't know, pick the loudest artists. If we walk through a room full of Andy Warhols and everything was gray, right. Yeah. And I knew that they weren't great before I went colorblind. It it would probably break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So we're going to get into the next one. So mm-hmm. would you rather forget your favorite books so you can reread them again for the first time 
or forget your favorite movies so you can rewatch them for the first time. Absolutely forget my favorite books. Yeah. Every book that I've ever read, I always close that thing like, yo, <laughs> we might have to go back in. A movie, like, a movie you can really pick up and put down in passing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've watched, say, all right, like, I've watched Goodfellas. It's one of those movies I've watched four million times. Mm-hmm. But every time I watch it, there's something new that I learn in it. And I could be watching it in passing. Like, I could be doing the dishes right. and Goodfellas is on in the background. And I didn't know he said that. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can always access a movie. It, it's very, you know, it's it's very easy. Yeah. That's why people like movies better than books. But like to to close a book and forget a book is it's almost like, nah, I have to get back to that. And you'll be double satisfied the next time. Because it's like also that wow moment is always more intense with a book than it is in a movie. I don't know what it is, but it, it could be like your wildest imagination. So it's different for everybody. So it's like that experience is very personal as opposed to when you're watching a movie. That's the same experience everybody else is having. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, yeah, to reread these some of these books, I could only, like, without remembering all of those wild moments. I like to reread books now, knowing <laughs> what's going to happen. Knowing what's going to happen. I mean, shoot, Harry Potter was one of those series that, like, I went back and read it again as an adult mm-hmm. and was like, wow, so much background information yes. I missed as a Listen. kid. And I still like the books the same. Mm-hmm. Like, I still loved it the same. It It just was like... Oh, but now I know that there's more than one magic school. Mm-hmm. And like now I know that like stuff that like I would have just I would have just went about my life thinking Hogwarts was that one one wizarding school in the whole world right. and not knowing that like that tournament was different schools. Yeah, no. Harry Potter listen, I feel like Harry Potter it's very underrated. Like people don't be fucking with it like that. At least not people my age. Maybe that's what it is. Cause I read it older right so i read it when the movies came out because i love Mm. to read if i like a movie series and it's based on a book i know the book is going to be a hundred times better than the movie so i'm going to want to read the book so i read harry potter after i watched the movies and that fucking series is fire like it's so good i you know i think a lot of why people tend to not fuck with harry potter is and this might have a little gravity to it, right? But like a lot of us have not really gotten in touch with the inner child, mm-hmm. right? Like imagination is something that trips a lot of us up. Like we kind of just want it there. Like, I mean, we'll read a book that's like based in real life situations mm-hmm. and we'll love it. Like, I don't know. Like, you know how people used to go crazy for, like, the Zane novels? Yeah. To me, that's too much real life. It's boring. It's like, Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. I get the descriptive, like, oh, yeah, real steamy. You know what I mean? But, like, it's real life. We're going to go out and experience a Zane novel on Saturday night. You know what I mean? But, like, Harry Potter, we're never going to experience Harry Potter. It literally takes you somewhere new. Yeah, we just got to be like, yo, if I was a wizard... (laughs) my wand would be like unicorn feather phoenix feather like and i would i'm definitely a slytherin like i don't want to hear it (laughs) oh boy yeah no dead ass i mean i i get why some people also don't like it because it's like they're all white 
for the most part, like you have your token people of color sprinkled in. There's no representation for like the LGBTQ plus community and all of that shit. Like I get all of that, but also it's like, it is, it's fiction. Like it's not real in a way. So like they could be whoever you want. Right. Except for Cho Chang. You yeah. knew that Cho Chang was was an Asian girl, <laughs> right. and I thought that was a little weird. It was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, so we so we just got used to the fact that it's all British white kids, mm-hmm. and then we got Cho Chang, and that's all we got, right? And they framed Cho Chang in a way where like they were being pseudo racist towards her. So I'm just like. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> she did like, become like an outcast and shit. And they tried to make it seem like, oh no, she's a she's a muggle. She's like muggle born. <laughs> nah, you know exactly why you coming for Cho Chang. Like and and then to to like retroactively make Hermione Granger black, I'm like, well, you know, I already kind of felt like Hermione was black. Mm-hmm. I I I I and that's the great thing about imagination. They never, you know, JK Rowling never said what ethnicity or persuasion any of those characters were so Mm -hmm. like you may feel like harry was white because if you take her description of the dursleys then it's like oh they're definitely white the Mm -hmm. way that you describe them Mm -hmm. but like they never really talk about hermione her parents they just say who they were a Mm -hmm. muggle and a wizard and like you know fred and george of course they're like irish so like you know they have those like like those cultural references, mm-hmm. but everyone else could be whoever like no Voldemort. For sure. You know we, we they never told us who Voldemort was and like wh- what country he was from. Like yeah, you kind of can make that up for yourself. So like that's the beauty of of stuff like that. Definitely, definitely. I think people just like they want things to be like said because I think one of the characters like it was made sure that we knew he was black. Dean Thomas, like, she literally said, like, this African-American boy or whatever. And it's just what? like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> we doing too much now. Like, let us get, leave something to the imagination, man. Right, right. <laughs> like, just don't say anything. Like, let people come up with what they come up with. Let the character be the character. Unless, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a writer, so I have no idea how all of that works for real. But whatever. I don't try to take any of that, like, real to heart or whatever. I know. Because then it ruins the imagination it of does. it all. It does. And, like, the experience. Like, I like the fact that I, like, reread Harry Potter and it brought me back, like you said, like, to that, like, my inner child. Like, I was reading that book before bed. It was fire. <laughs> like, I don't care what anybody says. I still want to play Quidditch. Like, I don't care that I'll never, ever have a Nimbus 2000. I still want to play Quidditch. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into the next question because I feel like I could talk about Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, nah, we were about to really spiral on that. (laughs) All right. Um, Would you rather be four four years old your entire life or be 90 years old your entire life? Four. I was lit. Like... (laughs) Like, baby me was, like, all over the place. Like, imagination, uh, creativity. I was just bugging out. I just asked the right questions. I don't know what I'm going to be in 90. I might be fed up with it all at 90. 
And so <laughs> yeah, I don't fuck with nobody. I'm just gonna be yeah. answering my show. I'm tired of every yeah. last one of y'all. <laughs> yeah, just just make sure like, you know, I'm just gonna keep my cookware clean and I'm just gonna stay here forever. <laughs> don't bother me. But come through if you want something to eat. Like come through. But like <laughs> leave me alone. Can't stay for long. I, listen, I'll let you know when I'm tired of you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go in the room and close the door. <laughs> I won't even say anything. Make sure you I just lock up, like just <laughs> put the slam lock on, please. That's such a New York shit. Like, does do other places do that? Like the slam lock? I don't feel like. You know what? That is, it's a good question because everywhere outside of the city, mm-hmm. like period, like even like in upstate New York, people do not lock their doors. <laughs> And I'm almost like, well, what's the sense in having a door then? Right. <laughs> it's just right. like a social. If I know you, then I know you don't lock your door just like I don't lock my door. <laughs> I'm just going to open the door and hidey hole you every day. Like, you know, but I think that it really is like, I think it, I think it really is like an inner city thing. Like yeah. we, um, we definitely have the slam lock. We definitely are them folks that keep the, the chain. I've only really seen the chain mm-hmm. in New York City. Do you remember the police locks? Oh yeah, the 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 <laughs> the bar that like that that holds the door. I kind of wanted, you know, I kind of want one still. Do they still make those? I feel like no apartments have them shits no more. They stopped making them. Yeah, because you gotta refit. You gotta refit your floor and like your because they have to put like the groove in the floor to hold the stick. Yeah, and then. But boy, oh nobody boy. was getting in your house with that shit on. Nobody. <laughs> like my grandmother, and it's crazy because when you thought about when when you actually brought up the um the slam lock, I was like, you know what, my grandmother used to have the police lock on. <laughs> and I've only really seen those here too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, that might just be a New York thing. So for anybody who doesn't know if it is just a New York thing, it's basically like they would have a very hev- heavy metal bar against the door and like in a groove in the floor. So like you couldn't, it was like, it's not, what's the, it's not a barricade, but it's like a. Like what is the, like what is the mathematical term? I know it's one of those like. It's like, you know, when you put a chair in front of the door that it just stops like it because it won't move. Yeah. yeah. So it's like that, but with a really heavy duty metal bar. And that bar is like 20 pounds. At least. At least. Yeah, and and you can't even open your door all that wide. For you to open your door wide, you have to like take out the bar completely. You remember yeah. that shit? Like- it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke. Like, you know, someone tries to like break. I've seen people try to like ram their way into doors. Not with that. It's not going to happen. Nah. And you know what? That actually raises a good point. I think that the reason why they're no longer like common is because if you think about it, if like first responders have to get in your house, mm, yeah, like EMTs or fire, like you're really screwed. Yeah, like, they're not gonna get in your your crib at all. Nah, they're just gonna stand out there and just be sad because they already know what's about to happen <laughs> to you. Like no, seriously, yeah, that's probably why because no one was breaking into that. But I also feel like I've only seen them in like really bad areas or if your family just because i'm pretty sure i had one in my apartment because my dad was just overly like protective like 
we had the police lock, we had security systems, we had, and this is like the nineties. Like, sir, what? What? Yo, are you selling ADT, drugs in the black in the back? Like, what the fuck is going on back here? ADT in an apartment <laughs> is crazy. Yo, I've never seen like a security system in the in the in the apartment. Like, yo, yeah. walking in and four eight nine three. We armed now. <laughs> like, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So imagine. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I don't even understand what's going on. And we still got broken into. So explain. Cause cause in the city nobody cares, man. That's why that that's why that police bar was the best. <laughs> Cause it was just like, yo, you know, we in a we're in a city where we can't have firearms for protection. Right. And things like that. Our only protection is a good defense. Mm-hmm. So And it's crazy, like so the fact that you say that we can't have firearms to me having a gun is so wild like i didn't know anybody like with guns growing up like it was really just like in my head police officers and like criminals have guns like that's that's how it is (laughs) in new york and then i meet all these people from like all over especially florida and she's like oh yeah i got a gun in my bag i'm like i'm sorry what like why do you why why do you have a gun on you? Is that just it's my favorite understand? thing about Southerners and Midwesterners <laughs> is they just they they have that glizzy on them like every time. For no reason. I'm just like nah, we're never, going to Target. Not... Like why do you have a gun? Listen, man, we might hit a deer and might have to <laughs> and might have to put it out its misery. You know, I because that was one of the questions I had. Like I I would be like, you know, why is it that you are riding around with like 45 in your glove compartment i mean like who's trying to kill you and if they are can you please let me out right here so i, I can walk <laughs> i don't want to be know? a part of that like, yeah my social credit's good ain't nobody coming supposed to, look to for come me. strapped like because i didn't get the memo <laughs> i didn't get the memo and and he's like nah but you know like we got deer crossings we got we got things like that so like you know you never know when you gotta and i'm like yeah I, you know I'll buy your deer crossing story today, but like, <laughs> you guys are all crazy. I mean, even That's though wild. like I love guns, for a New Yorker, I don't, I don't understand like my, like my affinity to them. I, I think just as machines, like how people like cars and and things like that, like the computers. mechanics of it all, and yeah, like it, it's something about. It, it's never about like me holding a gun like when people say like there's a feeling of power i get that but like i don't i don't feel more or less powerful holding a gun okay i just think it feels cool moving the parts around and knowing like how to shoot and how fast you can shoot this gun versus that gun and like what a rifle feels like compared to a shotgun it like it would seem violent mm-hmm. but like I don't care. I, I'll I'll do. I'll be like one of those rich people where like they, you know, they say Paul and like they send like the the clay pot up in the air. Like, yeah. Skeet shooting, skeet shooting is what you call it. Like what? I'll shoot clay pots all day in my backyard. Right, like, right, right. Okay. I mean, guns. I've never held a gun in real life. I don't. I've never seen a gun in real. I mean, aside from like when you see them on cops or whatever, but. <laughs> I've never actually seen one, seen one in real life. Funny story. I actually thought my ex-boyfriend had a gun in the house. Turned out it was a BB gun. It looked fucking real to me. I was scared as fuck. Oh, well. no. Those are those are hilarious because <laughs> they look super real. 
<laughs> you pull that thing out on me, I'm not gonna even question it. Yo, so I'm I'm like putting away laundry and shit, and in his like sock drawer is a box. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I open it, and it's a gun. Like it was a plain like black box. The gun was sitting like in like foam and shit. I'm like the fuck is this i know you didn't bring a fucking gun in my house i was flipping out he was like if you would have picked it up you would have saw that it was a bb gun you know what i don't have time you thought i was touching that shit i don't know who you shot <laughs> yeah, i'm not picking that thing up so my fingerprints could be on it i watch law and order like exactly if it's I think that's what keeps New Yorkers really from like wanting to own guns. I think we watch Law and Order and it's like, I don't want nothing leading back to me. Anytime you said they're like, oh, we found a fingerprint on the gun. What if I just randomly touched the gun in the street? Now they're coming after me for a shooting and I, I didn't kill nobody. I was home asleep in my bed. Like, see, I The don't serial know. number led back to a stolen gun <laughs> that is in your house, ma'am. How do you explain that? I don't have time. I don't have I don't time. have time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to get into our first segment and it's eat your heart out. And it's basically where we talk about things where we can help our listeners with like tips and gems and just things to help um, either just health wise, whether it has to do with your body, mentally, physically, all of that. So today I wanted to talk about why a change of scenery is good for your mental health. So if you know me, I am an advocate for travel. I fucking love to go away. I it, It's literally my therapy. It makes me feel so good, especially living in New York City where it's like six months out of the year, seven months out of the year, it's literally gray and brown outside. And I can't. I can't take it. It's it's way too much, and this is going to be a long winter. I'm telling you that right now. But <laughs> I found an article, and it says that basically a change of scenery can boost your well-being and mood. Um, you want to be able to go places where there's a lot of greenery and colors, um, where you can get a lot of vitamin D, just where you can intake the nature it doesn't necessarily have to be warm but just something different from what you're used to different from the mundane um and i wanted to talk about this with you because i remember you mentioning randomly that you literally just picked up and left like to go to the other side of the world (laughs) and i wanted to know like what brought that on for you oh man so uh that is absolutely true Um, I had a severe, like, I used to minimize it and just call it like a series of panic episodes, but it really was like a full on emotional breakdown. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working a job that I did not like. Um, and although in reality, my life was just picking up and like, really like sky's the limit. I didn't, I couldn't see it that way. Um, it just kind of felt like I was headed for a dead end. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved Japan. Like I've I've been going there, you know, at least once a year since 2009. Oh, wow. And yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And it was literally the only thing that clicked. Like through all of like the negative thoughts and the weird self-talk that was going on, you know, as a result of everything that was going on in my life, I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. The job, the the everything. Let let me just I'm I'm gonna book this ticket. I booked it on my work computer. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, you know, um 
I just one day left, you know, left from work, told everybody good night, like see you tomorrow. Like it was so funny. Like <laughs> how see long you were tomorrow. you gone for? Like like three weeks. Okay. I I I left for as long as like I could afford. I just took everything. I took out my four hundred one k. I took out everything, mm. and just was like skedaddle, and um, and it was. It was where I actually realized that sometimes it is as simple as a change of scenery where like you don't have to experience the same things. Because especially if that if that mundane like everyday cycle in your life is negative, Mm -hmm. like if it's bad, you know, you have like a hostile work environment, you got a hostile home environment, you're in a bad relationship. It's like if that's your everyday in New York City. Then mm-hmm. just like going to Central Park isn't necessarily gonna help, right? Because I That's love Central true. Park. I, <laughs> I, I, I go there all the time. I, I I'll walk through a museum, and sometimes like it's it's very calming. It is sort of like my therapy in a way. But like when it really gets rough, you just gotta like forget about what the social stigma is. Some people think that like it's it's too impulsive to just get up and go. Mm. And I mean, like, as long as, like, your core responsibilities aren't going to suffer as a result, like, right. of course, be responsible, be smart, but, like, get the hell out of there. Like, you're going to, and it might not feel better in the beginning because I the adjustment, mm-hmm. you know, when I landed in Tokyo, it was, I was still in a horrible mental space. I, and, it, and the stress of realizing, like, <laughs> yo, I literally just... <laughs> In a brain fog, I booked a, a flight to Japan, mm-hmm. and I booked an Airbnb, and I'm here now. Right. It gave me Without migraines. Without a plan. Yeah, it gave me terrible migraines. And I was just, like, in a bad mood for the first 24 hours. But once I was able to wake up in the morning, and, like, I didn't have to scramble to run to work with the constant thought in my mind of, like, I hate it. I hate it. Right. I'm trying to be grateful but I hate it mm-hmm. and it's eating me. I'm waking up and I'm hearing like the kids playing. It smells like usually, you know, like Tokyo in the morning is an odd thing because there is like a, there's a smell in the air, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's clean. It's like New York, but it's clean. Uh-huh. Like, you know how like, our polluted air is something that, like, we don't realize until we go somewhere and come back. Right. Okay. So, like, me just honestly seeing all the all of the skyscrapers and knowing that, like, you know, I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, they polluting like crazy. There's like 10 million mm-hmm. people living in this little space. Like, it's got to be polluted. But they're not. Nah. <laughs> it smells like Puerto Rico, but it's like. But it's Asia, okay. like it's an island, and you forget that it's an island. But like you wake up and the island breeze is is hitting you in your face. Yeah, and like, but it looks like you're standing in the middle of Times Square. Exactly, and like <laughs> nobody knew me. Um, nobody knew me, but everyone was polite, right? So like mm. the cultures, the culture's great like that. Like everyone's kind of polite and respectful to strangers, and and all of that. So you know, I was able to go out. And I built like a little, like what I call now, like a personal routine. So like mm-hmm. I'll get up in the morning, I'll have a cup of tea. I'm, you know, I'm staying away from all of my 
you know, anything anyone can contact me on because, of course, like mm. a week into my little escape, I had like 50,000 emails from human resources. <laughs> like, where did you go? Uh, right. Are you, are coming, you coming back? back? Like, what's going on? Did you need a leave of absence? And I'm just like, you know, this job was such hell that I forgot that I could take a leave of absence. Like, I thought there was mm. no escape. Right. Um, but but it, it really is true. Like, sometimes the best thing to do is to literally change your surroundings. Even if it's like, even if it's for a weekend, like a big thing, a big thing that I would say as well is like, not only because like, you don't really have to like, go to the extreme, like, like I did, right. like, you could just go upstate and like, go in mm-hmm. the woods and just chill. But like, leave your phone in a place where like, only like, people in an emergency should have access to you in, in these moments, like, Right, because if you're still like online and doing the same shit you were doing in your crib, it, it's not really changing anything. It's still you're still gonna have the same kind of like mindsets because of all the shit you're consuming anyway. Exactly. So definitely leave your phone alone. I went on a retreat in September, and um, it's funny because like the people, the, the retreat I went on, I found these people through the internet, right, through like social media or whatever, and literally. I did not know where my phone was the whole weekend. And I had such a blast. And in a way, it's like, damn, I have no pictures. But I was just having so much fucking fun that I have no idea where my phone was at. Randomly, there's pictures of other people in my phone. Because when I tell you, my phone was just literally all over the house. Like, But that was like the funnest I've ever had in a very, very long time. And it was without my phone. It was a change of scenery. It was down in Florida. You know, we had the pool. It was sunny. Like, it was just great. It was amazing and the most fun I had all 2020. It's yeah, we we don't actually take into account that our lives like I forgot who said this, but somebody said like we live in public um, Mm -hmm. just like regarding social media. And a lot of times we don't realize that that's an added stressor. Like, on top of the mm-hmm. daily stress of life, like, our parents had the daily grind, but, like, they could turn their whole entire brain off and do something mindless, like, watch Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Like, right. they could they could crochet a blanket, you know? Like, they could go and make mm-hmm. a pottery thing. But, like, our escape from everyday life tends to be, more often than not, virtual reality you know, i.e. like Instagram. And this is why you see so many people like vent in their stories and their mm-hmm. their pages become less of like a curated social media experience and more of like, this is how I'm feeling today and tomorrow right. and the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's very easy to share when you're sad on social media. But what you don't realize is we are all kind of like the same. Like, we're all feeling the same things, whether we acknowledge them or not. And so when regular life gets tough, social media is super empty. But it's designed yeah. for us to want to be engaged with it all the time. It feels like our recreation. So mm-hmm. that was a huge thing, too. It was like, you know, I got a job I hate. I just got out of a really bad, confusing relationship. I was all sorts of tore up. But... What made it worse was the fact that I had to go on Instagram 
and not only see people happy, <laughs> but like then see people who I knew were fronting like they were happy. It's just so mm. much of other people's energy that like, where is yeah. the space for you to be with you? Right. And that was what being in Japan did for me. It was like, it's just me and me and like this tea. And, <laughs> and I and I would just walk through the street like it's a very walkable city. It's not as big as New York. It's actually pretty small compared to New York. Mm. It's just densely populated. Um, you can walk the city in a day. And I would just walk the thing in circles every day. Like the three weeks consisted of me just finding whatever, jumped out and spoke Mm -hmm. to me. And I had no phone. I had my camera. Luckily for me, it was like no one could reach me in Japan. Like Mm -hmm. I had Wi-Fi. So like if you knew to FaceTime me, but like if you're just like an average, you know, if you're another like, like a stranger, Mm -hmm. all of the ways that you would be contacting me. You don't have access to. Not at all. It'd be like I disappeared off the face of the earth. So all of my pictures from that time, they're all like camera photos. Like they're all from Mm -hmm. the Nikon. And it it was then that I realized like, you know, it's a mixture of real life and this virtual reality life that we don't realize we're living. We kind of almost look at it as it's just like a game on our phone. Like, you know, Twitter's mm. a game. Like it, it's right. the talk shit game. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, but it's not the talk shit game. It is literally an application like that was once made for journalists, and we're just now all we're just talking our <laughs> we shit. We just took now. over. <laughs> yeah, two hundred dollar dates. That we're, we're now we on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, um, like you, you know, sometimes you do. You just gotta go. Go to Puerto Rico and not for the gram. Like you just gotta go for the beach. How you how you gonna enjoy the beach through the screen? It's almost like you you're wasn't not, even there. Yeah, you're not. And then for me, I all I also feel like when you take your electronics to like the beach. I I never am like taking a bunch of pictures in the beach or whatever. There's sand and everything. Like I just want all my shit to be like clean in my bag because I hate sand to be. <laughs> in the crevices of all my shit especially if i have like an expensive camera and stuff like that i like to experience what i'm doing instead of chronicling it you know because then it becomes more like a job than exactly anything else because what are we doing it for what what is the point i i thought that the salt water and the sun is good for you but it ends up being good for our feed and right, we forgot right. we went to the beach. <laughs> and you know who taught me that was actually my son because um, he has autism. I say this all the time on the podcast, but he doesn't play with toys a lot. Like what he likes is like technology, like iPad, iPhone, a tablet, things to do on there and all that shit. So when it comes to like Christmas and things like that, I, I'm i not getting you a new iPad every year like that doesn't even I would have a thousand iPads at this point um so I would always gift him with like a trip or like an experience like a show or or something like that um that we can do and because he's so like connected to like the phones and stuff we would have to do these things without any tablets without any phones because once he sees my phone he's going to want to use it and he's not going to be present in what's going on so I really had to like experience these things without 
internet, without being online, without having, you know, pictures taken or doing Instagram stories or whatever have you, because he couldn't be distracted in that way. So to live your life like that is, it's pretty cool. Like you think you're, that you're like, oh my God, but I don't have memories, but those are like things you don't forget. Exactly. You do have memories. What, (laughs) since when does our memory stop at a photograph, you know, like mm-hmm. there are times where I've lived certain things where I wish I had photos. Like, right. you know, sometimes somebody said this not too long ago and it really, really, I had to hit my best friend like, yo, bro, I love you, bro. I never say that. We don't say it enough. And like, we've been friends for like 27 years and like, I love you, man. And the reason being is because he is my best friend he used to live across the street from me and we would always chill with each other we would do everything um but we have no pictures we have Mm. two pictures like with like of the two of us and people would almost be like i didn't you couldn't you couldn't tell that was your friend you guys don't have no pictures together and i'm just like Yo, we just be too busy living, yo. We got inside jokes. We got all kinds of like, we never forgot what it was like to be at Kanye West Glow in the Dark Tour Madison Square Garden. You know, we never (laughs) forgot. Yeah, we never forgot what it was like to be in the nosebleed seats at a Kanye West concert and still feel like we were there. You know, like we were Mm -hmm. there. And another thing. When we when we're talking about our phones and like this like need to document everything, we have ruined our concert experience by mm. by wanting everyone to see we we almost want to give people FOMO more than we want to enjoy the artist. Right. Like here's Kanye West flying around. Like what was this? Two thousand seven or eight? Like. This was when he did... The Glow in the Dark tour? Yeah, was that? Yeah, it was like 2008. Yeah, seven. Yeah, because the the graduation album. So, like, Mm -hmm. here he is flying around in the air with a sparkly suit on. And we had no (laughs) Instagram stories. And, like, Instagram was really trash back then. And Twitter Mm -hmm. was not really allowing you to do much except for, like, TwitPic. So you had to take a picture with your phone. And, like... I have no pictures from Kanye West Glow in the Dark. I don't even have merch. And but like I know that that was one of my <laughs> That things. was before buy merch was like a huge thing. Ugh. The resale <laughs> game has destroyed like just having a t-shirt like Yeah. Like I buy merch and I'm like, "Yo, I'm going to give this to my son." I'm going to be like, "Yo, your dad was like the coolest dude." Right. And he he went to, yo, he went to see Tame Impala at Madison Square Garden and now I kept this shirt just for you. <laughs> Just for you, wear that well, kid. And ask that girl to dance, man. She gonna like your little old school flavor. (laughs) Not the vintage. Not the vintage. Like, yo, chill. Like, the hype beasts are gonna be like, yo, that's like $700 on StockX. And and the girls are gonna be like, who's Tame Impala? And like... And then they're gonna Google uh it. Like, oh. I'll make you a mixtape. I'll make you a playlist. That is so fucking (laughs) funny. Oh, my goodness. Um... Like you said, the FOMO with the concerts, everyone just records the concerts now and puts it all over their story. Like, you don't even, like, what are you, what are we missing? It's like the whole appeal of going to a concert was seeing something that wasn't available to the public at, in that moment. And the people who miss it 
they're not necessarily upset that they missed it. They are upset, but it's not like a, like a, I need to see this upset. Right. It's almost like, damn, I can't believe I missed that. I bet you it's a movie, man. Like, mm-hmm. I bet you that, like, Kanye killed it. And, like, I bet you everybody's having a good time. And I'm kind of sad I slept on it, but, like, say la vie. You know what I mean? But, like... Mm-hmm. Now it's almost like why even buy tickets to a concert when your homeboy could go and and be on Instagram live. <laughs> You're watching the whole and shit. And it sucks because then people have this weird like like dilettante opinion. So like it's almost like your opinion becomes like very blasé about certain things mm-hmm. because you weren't there. Like you didn't feel like as a performer a concert is a transfer of energy. Like, you leave a concert feeling good. Like, you've transcended something. You feel like that yeah. person on the stage. Like, if they're a good performer, you felt like you got to know this person and now you love them, right? But watching that concert on Instagram live is just you watching someone else watching it through their phone. Right. So, it's very devoid of emotion. It's like, you don't get that transfer of energy. So, you're just like, oh, yeah, I saw Kanye and, like, it's Kanye. Like... All right. And <laughs> right. it's like he was doing that song. And it's like, nah, yeah. man, he was crying and the stage was moving and it was a it was a moving experience. Like what? Nah, I loved it. And just the atmosphere of the audience, like everyone there for him egging it on and being hype and you know, rapping all at the same time. Like all of that. Making shit, friends, like... sharing a blunt, uh passing around <laughs> the, the bottle you snuck in. Like you bond you bond (laughs) like i've hugged strangers at concerts i've sang songs with like a couple right the Mm -hmm. girl in one arm the guy in another arm and me in the middle and we're like (laughs) yo welcome to the good life like like (laughs) listen like there's no and and that is like it it kind of it goes back to what we do when we travel like we do waste the opportunity to get that change of scenery to change our perspective and to re-regulate our emotions because I believe, and I hate to sound like a grandpa because like I'm a millennial, but like, you know, we grew up in tech too, but it's just like, as we get older now, we're able to see like the impact that technology has had on our emotional well-being because even the things that would change us they tend not to change us because we let our phone get in the way. You know, like right. it's literally a barrier. It's in the way. We're focused on this mm-hmm. and not that. So sometimes, you know, people will say like, I got to take this trip for my sanity. And then they'll document the trip all the way. And it's almost like, were you sad because you thought that you were too broke to travel? Or were you actually mm. sad and needed a new perspective? Right, because those are two different things. You're gonna come back sad still, because you're still gonna be broke. <laughs> Them likes are gonna slow up. Your story is going to disappear after 24 hours, and then you're back at square one. And what are you gonna do to get the likes next? Now you're just chasing the dragon. Right. When really you could have just shut your phone off, sat on the beach, and been like, mm-hmm. "Yo, I really am a human being having a human experience." And all of this outside shit, this job, this like toxic relationship, these toxic friendships, I'm able to re 
organize them in my life. You know, sometimes, right. you know, the people that do it right, they come home and they they leave that asshole or like they switch up their friend group. They stop answering their phone for them folks or mm-hmm. or they'll or they'll go looking for a new job with like a new sense of purpose. Like they they gain like clarity. Absolutely. It, you hit the nail right on the head. It's like mm-hmm. I, you know, I came back from Tokyo and I didn't have a job anymore. Like I had a certified letter from FedEx that was just like, nah, bro, you're fired. Like we know what you did. Right. Somebody <laughs> saw your Instagram and we know you, your ass went to Asia. And like, you know, you got me. You feel me? Right. But like I came back and I knew like, yo, I'm a whole person. And these things, although we need money to survive, what I learned is like, you can get that if your mentality and your emotions are lined up the right way. If you don't, if you don't have the right, you know, if you don't have the right perspective, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you're not going to have it when you get back. You're going to be deeper in the hole. So, like, I think the whole point of changing your surroundings to, you know, cure a, you know, cure a depression and things like that. Because I, I remember you actually mentioning that, like, you have uh, seasonal. Seasonal depression. Oh, yo. Yeah. The thing is, is that, you know, sometimes people get on folks for, like, getting, you know, going to L.A. Or, like, going to, you know, mm-hmm. Mexico or something like that. Like, I'm I'm a Tulum hater. I I don't right. like everybody going to Tulum. I hate that. But like, if the colds got you all one way, and like that that shit's getting hard to get out from under, man, take that right. ass to Tulum. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. fuck it, four days, five days. Like, go go sit down. And the thing is, is like, don't even worry about the money as long as you can get there and sit in the Airbnb and eat those five days. Right. Right. You don't have to go out there and spend a bunch of money. And a lot of people use money as like a hindrance to do shit. But it's like if you're able like money is always going to come to you. Like you can't think that money's never going to come to you because guess what? Then it's never going to come. You're always going to get money regardless. Like it, now what you do with it is up to you. And if that's going to make you happy in this instance, then you fucking do it. Because why be depressed? And life is too For short what? and we only get one. It's like what's mm-hmm. the point in holding on? To things like, all right, having a savings and having a cushion to fall back on in an emergency is one thing, right? Right. But being like, yo, I don't got time to go sit on a beach. I'm too busy getting this money. It's like you wonder why Fortune 500 CEOs suffer from real bad clinical depression that they can't shake with Mm -hmm. a change of scenery because it's like their only reason for living ends up being this money mm-hmm. they're only worth what they can give to people or what they can do for people and that takes the worst toll on you but that you did that to yourself mr right. miss success you know what i mean i'm not trying to mm-hmm. like knock success we all we all want to be successful in life but right. what is success is it being able to live a full life or is it being able to show people that you could live a full life? Mm-hmm. A lot of folks say, like, when when I get my first million, maybe I... With, with people that see me going to Japan all the time, and they're just like, yo, couldn't be me. 
You know what I mean? I'm like, why couldn't it be you? Why? I was selling shoes <laughs> at Morton Taylor to finance my first trip. Like, and I wasn't making any money selling shoes. I was making seven sixty five right. an hour. Like, I wasn't making any money. But like, I did. I took an eleven day trip to like uh, to Greece. So, if I can do it, and this is me paying all my bills by myself, having my kid. You know, I worked my full time job, but like, I saved up for that shit specifically because I knew that's something I wanted to do. It's not like people act like traveling is so difficult or it takes such a toll. It's really, it's not that hard to travel. A lot of people don't. They don't like to. Uh, they don't like to invest in the long game. So, like mm. saving up to travel, like people who have travel as a priority in their like interest, they don't mind staying home and cooking meals. They don't mind right. <laughs> buying their socks and drawers from Target instead of like Polo. They don't mm-hmm. mind having less streaming services. They don't mind any of that short term you know, satisfaction because right. they are like, yo, when I get the fuck the grease, <laughs> yo, I'm going to have my whole chest out. And like, <laughs> I don't care. Cause like, you know, this is what I wanted. You, mm-hmm. did you want those Balenciagas? Cause it doesn't seem like you do now. You, you, you talk about, you need money to go to Greece. I need money for Balenciagas. So like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I had to give up Balenciagas right. for Greece, and you got to exactly. give up Greece for Balenciagas, but you can't act like you couldn't do Greece. Right. And I can't act like I can't do Balenciagas. Mm-hmm. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's what you prioritize at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, and you can't, like the Rolling Stones said, man, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. Like... <laughs> uh, you know, guys... Just try to change your scenery. You know, it doesn't have to be something ridiculously expensive. You don't need your own villa in the Maldives. Like, you know, this isn't... <laughs> we're not doing that shit. But you can go upstate. You can go get a little cabin. You can go to Tulum. You can go to, you know, all these places. Try to stay out of Puerto Rico because I don't want y'all bringing the coronavirus over there, to be honest. But, <laughs> like, stay out of Puerto Rico, please. But... Whatever. They they fuck with y'all in Tulum. Just go to Tulum. It's fine. They want y'all to come there. Leave the Mayas <laughs> alone. And then and then like you know the funny thing about Tulum, like in, in one of my uh in one of my hateration spells, I was just like, yo, they don't even know. They standing in the middle of the crater of the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> How creepy is that? You got the ghosted T Rex on your ass. Like, oh, you thought it was fun, right? You thought it was fun. You got your you got your little Is that for <laughs> real? Is it really? Do yeah, you know? no. The the uh Quintana Roo was mm-hmm. actually the site where the Chicxulub the reason why there's so many cenotes around that area mm-hmm. is because it was the asteroid smashed into that Yucatan Peninsula and then pieces of it went up in the air and fell back down. Like, that joint dried out the area. Like, it made it a, a basin instead of a part of the ocean. Oh, and okay. So now, like, there's a town called Chicxulub, and it's named after the, the asteroid. And it is literally sitting, like, on the rim. Like, if you look at the... Because uh, they're not that far above sea level, but, like, from a telescope in space, you see the rim of the impact crater. Oh, wow. <laughs> Put Saloon in a whole new light. <laughs> <laughs> Did not 
know that at all. Like, and I'm like, you're saying it. It has to be true. That's I'm like, wait, is that is that for real? Because you know, people talk to just talk nowadays, so you don't even be knowing. <laughs> yeah, it, it it it's true. It is true. I mean, like I and I didn't know because I was just like, oh yeah, like the Mayan ruins. Like I I thought that was creepy enough. I figured right. like leave them ancient people alone. Mm-hmm. You never seen Legends of the Hidden Temple. One of them <laughs> one of them things to start talking to you, and then and then you won't want to go back to Tulum. Now you don't want a hot girl. You don't want to drive the boat no more. But like, but nah, like it really is like the area, like the area around it is is that that impact crater which mm-hmm. i find actually kind of cool i might actually go to tulum just to just to kind of be in that energy but like you'd probably be the only one over there because nobody really knows they're just staying in like the um the strip where all the restaurants and the and the beach bars are and things like that the ocean city of mexico yeah <laughs> <laughs> Hey, y'all. So before we get into the next segment, I wanted to remind you, as usual, you already know the deal. Um, If you haven't done so already, please rate, review, and subscribe down below. If you are using the Apple Podcast app, please rate five stars. Five stars gets, you know, it gives me a little boost, gets me on the charts, gets me known, gets me heard, and all that fucking jazz. Um, Also, leave me a review. Let me know what you would like to hear. Let me know if there's any topics you would like me to cover any people you would like me to interview any people you would want on the show anything like that put it down below in the review section also you can take a screenshot of the episode and tag me on instagram i love to connect with my listeners um i love to get feedback and all that shit so you can just take a screenshot of what you're listening to and tag me in it and i will repost and say what's up i'm not gonna take up any more of your time i'm gonna let you get back into the episode thank you bye all right so we're gonna get into the next segment which is um why we're you're actually on the show today so it's hard on my sleeve and it's where we dive a little bit deeper about like real life struggles and things like that and how we manage them and today i wanted to reference the movie malcolm and marie um before i saw it i actually saw your instagram story and you you know we're going in on the macaroni and cheese (laughs) and i was just like what i like i've seen the poster for the movie i didn't watch the trailer but it was like you know like it's like a love story or whatever so i'm like oh i'm gonna check it out you're like you know it's a little triggering or whatever but let me know what you think and um we spoke about it a little bit so i wanted to talk about it on the podcast but first and foremost uh this is spoiler warning like we're gonna talk about the movie so if you haven't seen it you can stop listening now. stop it now (laughs) stop it now and just take the 90 minutes and come back make sure you you remember where you paused it and like come back (laughs) right um so first and foremost the first question i had for you was do you think imani was based on marie yeah absolutely um i'm not i don't remember if he actually admitted it or not he did he did say like that one deep thing in the bathtub scene right Mm -hmm. like oh the girl who couldn't fathom that anyone else could love her because she didn't love herself nah he was just saying that to be mean right but like in reality like as an artist like when i write a love song or when i write like a heartbreak song Mm -hmm. it's not just one girl you know what I mean? Like it is 
it is a it's a look at the emotion mm-hmm. that these like maybe all of these women made me feel one central emotion and this is the point of the song so i think that imani was like all of them like like he said it was mm-hmm. all of them he just was framing it in a way to be spiteful instead right. of just saying well you know babe you know i have a thing where i've honestly been dating you know women with these kinds of issues mm-hmm. my whole life right and so yes there's a part of you in there, but there's also a part of Leah and there's also a part of Kiki and mm-hmm. there's also like a part of all the rest of them mixed with like my perspective on on what they did, you know, what they, you know, what they, I guess what they portrayed out in the world. Um. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he she was, but at the same time, it wasn't all her mm-hmm. and he could have really it would have killed the argument, which would have killed the movie. Right. But like, the truth of the matter is, yeah, man. It, it's yeah, all I of you. think it was like a combination of all of those women, you know, bits and pieces of them. But I think ultimately, he framed that character around Marie. Like, there was just certain things he put very per. When he said that he put the na- cutting herself with nail scissors in the movie, like that was very much personal to her. And she made that clear to him. Like she was like, I opened up to you and I told you about that specific part in my life. And that's in the movie. You're going to sit here and tell me that that, that character is not me. Like that's something very personal. Yeah, she could have tried to kill herself in any way. <laughs> like he could have changed that specific detail to nail anything. scissors are so specific <laughs> and it was literally the first thing i said when i saw it i was like nail scissors bro all right so if she has a nail scissors story and she was just like i told you i was gonna i cut myself with nail scissors and i was just like you know malcolm you know <laughs> you couldn't just say a simple thank you like the nail scissors was enough of a piece of her right where it was like bro you can't it's undeniable not, at that point. Yeah, you can't use like the muse shit for for all of this now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It it's crazy. I feel like Malcolm, I don't know. So I've watched the movie at this point uh three or four times. Uh the first time I watched it was when me and you were talking about it. And then I watched it a second time, and I can't get past like a little bit once they're about to have sex i can't get past that part anymore like it's just like i i tune it out completely um and then i tried to watch it with two of my friends but like we were all together and we were all talking it's very much a movie that you have to sit down and pay attention to um but i realized that the first line of this movie was Marie saying so this is right like right after the credits so after he's singing and dancing and drinking and seemingly getting more drunk and all of that and she makes the macaroni and cheese she puts it on the table and the first line after the um, title page comes up is I promise you it's not a good idea let's talk tomorrow and I was just like (laughs) boom like she does not want to argue with you sir he was pushing that argument from the beginning and then changing up like it he would say something and then get overly defensive Mm 
and try to make her seem like she's crazy. And then little by little, it's like these little things kept coming up. And it's like, oh, this is why she's mad. Oh, this is why she's mad. Like, what? are you fucking kidding me? Like, why are you arguing with her? She has every reason to be mad. And I know they did that for, like, the cinematic effect to drag time. Because if everything comes out in the beginning, like, the movie is just not. I mean, shit. And, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it, it, it is kind of an accurate depiction of, of dealing with a narcissist. Because really, if you think about it, man, you was on a high. You just, your film just kicked ass. Like, bro, I don't even want no macaroni and cheese. I just want you and sleep. Mm -hmm. Please put the Kraft macaroni and cheese in the thing. And like, (laughs) let me see what is underneath that amazing dress. Like, I can't believe you wore that for me. Like, I don't, like, she could be mad, but she wasn't going to deny that that closeness and that intimacy because deep down inside she still loves him and is happy for him Mm -hmm. it's just my guy i got my own little personal gripes with what you did Mm -hmm. and it's not a good idea for me i don't want to ruin your night and you're really asking me to ruin your night and i'm still the more i try not to the more you bugging out you think it's about taylor you think it's about bob and it's just like (laughs) actually bro now we got to talk about it because it's, no, it's about not the Bob. thing that, you know, you did like the fact that he acted like he's here making guesses like, sir, you know, you didn't up, you didn't thank her and you know, you it was bad because you apologized a thousand times during the movie. So why are you sitting here acting like you don't know why she's mad? Th- that made no sense to me at all. Because he thought that like his apology should have just been it. Like, <laughs> like, yo, I said, I'm sorry, 10,000 times. What you want me to say? I want you to just like shut up. That's what I want you to do. Like I just really want I really just like at the heart of it all, you I I felt like my heart was really hurting for Marie because I was just like, yo, she just wants him to shut up. Mm-hmm. Like, and he just won't shut up. And like it's making everything worse. And like to the point where I gotta light a cigarette with a candle lighter. Yo, that was my favorite art because when i tell you that's what i use i'd be in I my bathroom with my candle lighter <laughs> i do it all the time i love i love the candle lighter more than the more than the regular lighter <laughs> there's no finger burn like yeah. <laughs> be lighting that be lighting that joint like this <laughs> it's just oh my god it was so accurate and yeah he just wouldn't stop and even she said like we're going to, this is going to happen and you don't know when to stop. Like you always take it too far and it's just, it's going to be bad. Like, and that's what got me thinking. Like, this is really a toxic relationship because it's not like this was just one, you know, argument that happened because of years of whatever. Like this is the biggest argument they've ever had. To me, it sounded like whenever they argue, he goes for the jugular. Like, it's like, I'm going to hurt you because I I don't know. And I've dated people like that. They don't know how to fucking argue without hurting your feelings. Like, it's like once you get to the point where you feel the need to really hurt me in a way that has nothing to do with, with what the argument is, then I know I won because you have no- nothing else to say to me to support your argument without trying to hurt me. That's that's actually my my arguing style in a relationship because I've dealt with a lot of that too. Where it's like, oh, are we going to talk about finances or we're going to talk about like 
some dumb some nonsense like right. like some real like i know that you just tried to insult me mm-hmm. and it's just like well the conversation's over you don't <laughs> understand that you just did something really dumb and like you couldn't just own it so you decided that you was going to try to drag me to hell and you know what you won I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get some ice cream and go check my email. And like, I'm not even mad at this anymore. Right. Like, I could leave this sh- this whole shit alone. Like, you, you, I don't know what it is about you, but that that is narcissism. It's like, yo, it hurts my feelings that you think I did something wrong. Like, mm-hmm. that's really what that is. Like, it's like the kid in school that could not just get in trouble. It was like they'll get in trouble and it'll always be a but, but, but. And then uh, they throw a temper tantrum because like when I was an after school counselor, like not too long ago, there were kids that I would, that I would like, you know, I tutor them and they would like do something wrong. I call them out on it and they'll get, they'll start being defensive, like whatever. And when you shoot down that defensiveness, like, listen, bro, I'm not trying to come at you. Right. I'm just saying, like, there's no reason, like, I'm asking for a quiet room and you throwing yourself out your chair. It's just, right, it's a right. lot, right? <laughs> and then they're just like, I don't even care. And they start throwing chairs around. And it's just like, see, now you could hurt somebody. Like, now you're really wilding. And it's like, all this is, is it's just me correcting something that was incorrect, man. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you so mad? And I love how kids absorb those kinds of things because they do take responsibility even though they don't really even understand what that is because i'll be like you know you just turned this into something else right like so now when you get in trouble for ruining the classroom you can't say that mr Dwayne did anything you can't say that anyone else in the class did anything right i told you something about yourself and it made you so mad that you spazzed out and you destroyed this teacher's classroom Mm mm-hmm all right, Taz. So now you're going to have to deal with this in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then they got to deal with it in the morning. And then I, are they going to approach me the same way again? Nah. Probably not. But, yeah. <laughs> but when you allow that kind of stuff or you kind of like humor that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. those kids will grow into Malcolm's. Yeah. Where like they just cannot accept responsibility for a thing that isn't exalting them. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's not praise, then they can't take it. Yeah, he was very much defensive. And he was, and Marie was the only one trying to, like, turn the night over. Like, every time there was some sort of, like, resolution or they were getting along or laughing or whatever, it's because she came back after being berated and, like, fucking... The way she was spoken to in that tub, for then her to turn around and come out and, like, be joking with him and all that shit. And it's even funny because she comes out after after the tub scene and, you know, she starts singing a song. She actually plays a song, which is, um, it was like, oh, I, I wrote it down. Damn. And I wish, because it was so uh Get perfect. rid of him. That's what it was. Get rid of him. And it... <laughs> But I can't because I love him. Yeah. I know he's an asshole, but he's my asshole. Mm-hmm. And so she's letting him know. I was tearing up, actually, at that scene because I was just like, let's see if he softens up. Because the thing didn't. is, is that I would be so in love with this woman if, like, I said the most hurtful thing ever and I'm out there ruminating on it. 
and smoking a cigarette and being like, I can't believe I said that. And she comes out and she's like, they telling me the again yeah, again yeah, with her little with her little Nicole Kidman uh, <laughs> camisole on, girl. Girl. It was so rough. He ignored the hell out of her and stopped ignoring her when he needed her again. So when he goes back inside the apartment or the house and he sees that there's a review and he can't find his wallet to see the review, then it's like, oh, I can talk to her. And then that's when he like softened up, which was such bullshit to me because it was like, oh, she's out here really like extending an olive branch and like trying to get past whatever it is. I Even though I don't think she should have, but she's really trying and you're still ignoring her and then only paying her any attention when you need her again. And even that softening, wasn't really softening. It was a narcissistic tantrum. Mm -hmm. It was, ah, oh, this white bitch from the LA Times, she's just, she's telling me that, blah, blah, blah. that it's, it's an amazing luminary work. And it was a good review. Yeah, it was so hard to watch. I was just like, what is he yelling about? Like, why are you yelling so much? It And it was only because he wanted, and it, you're such a narcissist, that you don't understand, like, all right, this is a white woman critiquing a black film. She's she's definitely walking on eggshells. She's she's trying to dodge the pitfalls of like overanalyzing your work or underanalyzing your work. She's not trying to compare you to Spike Lee. She's not trying to compare you to Barry Jenkins. You are trying to compare yourself to Spike Lee and Barry Jenkins. So at the core of it, you ain't even really a viable director, kid. Right. Like Marie really the only one that's going to keep it real with you. Mm -hmm. And and look how you treating her. And then she's still like, but babe, it was a good. First of all, she's still calling him babe. Yeah. You're going to be Malcolm for the rest <laughs> of the night. <laughs> I don't even care if we stop fighting. You're Malcolm or you might be Malk. You might even just be not even your whole name, your mouth. <laughs> You're not even going to finish the mac and cheese. Like, but like. He, he was babe and she was still there mm -hmm. and she was still like, you know, I know that he goes through these things and I know how he wanted this movie to go. You still, still. And then it led into that other shocking revelation where it was mm -hmm. like, you didn't even cast me. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that was just like, and then it's like the way that that came up, because I don't know if you remember, but a little bit earlier in the film, she was like, we're going to be good as long as you don't say nothing else stupid. And then he didn't even realize he said the most stupidest thing he could fucking say. He was like, um, basically, he knows that if she could find a role that she could be herself in, that she would be astounding. And it's literally me. <laughs> This was, this was my motherfucking uh, Sandra Bullock. In the <laughs> like, blind side. Like. Come on, man. Come on, man. This was inspired by true events. You don't remember? Like, boy, like, th that's what you, that was your reasoning? I, where's my candle lighter? Yeah, exactly. I'm, she I'm got going to the up. And she was like, I can't take this shit. This is bullshit. Like, you have to be fucking... You can't be that nearsighted. Like, 
you can't see outside yourself that much that you don't know what you just said to me. Like, you have this great role that you just got this amazing review on. And, you know, your production agency put us in this huge house and all this shit. And then you're constantly throwing Taylor in my face on top of it. That, when 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 I found out that he basically didn't cast her and casted Taylor, the fact that he kept on bringing Taylor up to her, it's like, Sir, you know the problem I have with Taylor has nothing to do with her or me thinking that I'm jealous of you. Like, it has nothing to do with that. It's the fact that you didn't cast me for the fucking... You cast somebody else to be me. And I wouldn't even... I wouldn't have even been mad at that had you not said what you said. <laughs> it it could have been so... That would be one of the times where, like, I always say, like, I would never lie. You know what I mean? Like, if, if I'm in love, I'm never going to lie. Like, right. that's my number one... Honesty is, like, my number one thing when it comes to... If I tell you I love you, the way you know is that there's no... Absolutely no... If you don't know... If, if there's no other indicator, mm-hmm. then it's my absolute honesty... I will give you the truth at the drop of a hat. Yo, where is my left shoe? I, I put it to hold the door closed because I was bringing the groceries <laughs> in. My fault. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, there is no lies. But if I knew I fucked up by not casting you in a movie that was about your life, I'm going to say some shit like, yo, the studio really wanted to go with Taylor for like the optics and I like I'll just go with some you know Hollywood's a meat grinder you know I ain't really want to put you through all of that which is half true nobody wants to put their spouse through anything crazy like that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's relationship dissolved because of Eyes Wide Shut Mm. they really had breakdowns in their relationship after that movie it wasn't because of the movie but it was probably working together on a movie that was about an unhappy couple right and so they probably realized how unhappy they were with each other in the process of playing that couple. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's almost like, you know, maybe you maybe you would be super like not into me. Like imagine us working on set and having to deal with like the ins and outs of producing a movie. Right. Or me having to be your boss now. Like that's a whole nother dynamic to add onto our relationship. So I could. Yeah. I- it ain't a lie. It's a convenient truth that I didn't think about until you just asked me this question. Right. I could always say this. And and even if you was like, mm-hmm, lying, uh, you know, whatever, like a rug, like, it'll be all right. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, you'll be like, yo, but he did lie on some, like, he just didn't want me to, he doesn't want to disrespect me by saying that he thought I couldn't hack my own fucking role. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. like. But but you told her she can't hack her own life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Essentially. Essentially. And it's like, was he lying in the in the instance? Does he really feel like she could be great? Because from what we've seen in the movie, like she she looks like she could be a great actress, right? Like she proved herself time and time again with the whole banter that she was having and she was doing all of these improv improv roles and things like that. She was amazing. You know, like, that was great. And then when she actually showed him, quote unquote, like, no, I am a great actress. Like, this is what authenticity gets you. Like, this is why I could have been great in that role. And so it's like, did he really feel that way? Or was he just saying it in the heat of the moment? I think he really felt that way. But I think what he was hiding, I think think we actually touched on this in... 
in our DM conversation, I think what happened with him was he knew that this was going to be like her uh, Lupita Nyong'o 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This was going to send her to the moon. We don't necessarily be remembering who directed 12 Years a Slave. Right. You know, we know it was a great director, Mm -hmm. but we just don't know under the shade of Lupita Nyong'o taking Mm -hmm. off after that. Yeah. You know? So, or or Gabby Sidibe playing Precious. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We don't remember who necessarily directed the movie, but we know the star. Right. And we'll always equate the star with that film. And so, of course, she's going to grow from this. Maybe more than you. Mm-hmm. This might have just been a good movie for you, but this was her launching right. pad. Right. Mm-hmm. And she knew that, and he knew that. And so the thing is, is I think, yeah, he knows He knows she could be great. I believe that Malcolm is truly in love with Marie like he says he is. The problem is his own narcissism. His own ego has gotten in the way of their relationship, and she doesn't even necessarily want him to have a her ego. Right. But like, when do you want to ever be fair to me? Like, when are my feelings ever going to be important? When is my life ever going to be important to you besides just being your emotional crutch? Mm-hmm. Or, like being the, your, or being your movie or your story. Because yeah. that was another thing she said to him, which like, she when she was ready to throw them hands, she was ready to throw them hands, okay? You are no Spike Lee or Barry Jenkins <laughs> because they have their own fucking perspective. <laughs> And I'm just like, you know, them art talks, like, you know, when, when I can't imagine being like being in a relationship with another artist and we start talking like, and we're being real mean to each other. And like, she goes, and nobody wants to hear your fucking raps anyway. They're so fucking pedantic. You're, you're, you're such a pedestrian. Like you don't, you don't bring any authenticity. Now, Drake. Drake is who you wish you could be. And and I just I'm just like standing there with the half a mac and cheese in my hand like All right, but can we also talk about something? Have you ever been in an argument where it was like each person had their own monologues because I would have inter- I would have interrupted Malcolm a thousand at one times. Like I don't get like you're not going to sit here and yell at me like this for 10 minutes. I am a I am the worst right like to argue with because i am a talker um i am a big fan of literature i love words and how they're used and of course like i'm a poet so i can really like strike at the head and the heart at the same time and so arguing with me after a while it stops being about you know it stops being about us having this back and forth. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, I'm just going to, like, when I'm ready to just end this shit, we're having a monologue. <laughs> and it's going to be Shakespearean. Like, you want to know something? You want to know why I never tell you I love you? It's not because I don't. You know, like, and it's not because I don't. So don't start that shit, Marie. Like, it, it's because you want to be the star in your own fucking movie but you want me to hold the camera and and like but 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 you know what i'm all out of film and then i just turn around and walk away 
And I, I hope you just slide down the door crying. <laughs> after, after that. I'm all out of film, Marie. I'm all out of film. But I don't I, I don't feel like I have monologues. Um No. I mean after a while maybe I'll let you talk. I I think once I get to the point where I'm over the whole argument and over the whole conversation, I'll probably let you talk at the end of it, but I'm not listening to you anymore. And that probably will get you even more like See <laughs> that's where the not nah, I mean, I'll get upset, but I think like relate like arguments and relationships have more of a volatile nature to them like arguing with family Mm -hmm. it don't hit the same Mm -hmm. um but arguing with like a lover it's like if you stop listening to me (laughs) well then i'm gonna stop talking and like literally like this will go unresolved yeah and like hey you can't blame me for the unresolved argument. You literally decided to stop talking to me. So you know what I did? While you was interrupting me and just trying to get your little jabs in, I just started practicing my jump shot. <laughs> Swish. I mean, what were you saying, babe? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm I, listening. I'm listening. I'm just, you know, repetition makes perfection. You know what I mean? Like, it, I'm not going to sit here and like argue like an argument should actually lead to a resolution i invite that kind of conflict like i'm not the kind of person that shies away from that conflict i loved i loved malcolm and marie because i know that that's real Mm -hmm. like those fights are real and like they happen all the time and although malcolm was an insufferable narcissist we have varying levels of those arguments right but those knockdown drag out arguments tend to happen in these relationships and like a lot of our problems in relationships come from shying away from those mm-hmm. or going about them the wrong way instead of just like listening. Because I think that like Malcolm wasn't listening and Marie had nothing to listen to. Mm. He was just kind of blowing hot air the whole yeah. fight. It was all and, him trying to hurt her feelings the whole time. And all she was doing was keeping it real and he could not hack reality. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, yo, like how many times am I going to keep talking to you? And like, I'm just done. And the thing is, is all I wanted was a thank you. You didn't even have to thank the movie people. All you had to do was come up on me while I'm making this mac and cheese and be like, thank you, baby. Not Mm -hmm. just for my inspiration, but for being there to support me and for being around annoying ass Taylor and fucking Bob. Like, don't you hate Bob? (laughs) Like, you know, like, I know that you hate Bob. And like, thank you for like smiling in his face and not spitting in it. And then like, and now it's one in the morning and you're here making macaroni and cheese in a dress. (laughs) Right. I don't even want you baking this macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) thank you. Let me, you know, I'm taking off the suit jacket. Let me take care of this because it's more than just, you know, you and you hear the good things she's saying to him and he's not hearing any of that. Mm -hmm. He don't let the good into his life. And that's a personal problem. Right. Like she wasn't going to cure that. And I think that's what frustrated her the most. It was like, that's why in the end, she's just there, like staring off into the distance because it's just like, I don't think 
he's ever going to get it. He's not going to get it. Because at the end of the day, it was all the difference between I'm sorry and thank you. You kept saying you were sorry, but when all I really wanted you, you to do was to thank me. Okay, you didn't do it in the speech, but you could have done it a million times from the speech up until the end of the argument, which the last words of the movie was him saying thank you. He did not say it the entire movie. And it almost felt insincere, mm-hmm. which is why, of course, like her reaction, you see her reaction was still stone cold. She just yep. was quiet and she just turned off the light. Because she it's just looked- like at this point, it doesn't even mean anything. I've had to tell you to do it so many times. It doesn't. It's not genuine. It's not you coming literally from you. literally broke me down. You made me reopen wounds. Mm-hmm. You made me revisit traumatic experiences in my life. And then you thanked me for some vague shit. I don't even know what you're thanking me for anymore. Right. And that was like, you know, a lot of people that that have seen the movie would say like they don't like the way it ended. They don't like the critics hate it. The critics think that it it's just oh, you know, it was just like this fake film noir. Like they're really too caught up in the style, mm. right? They're too caught up in the tech, the technical aspects of the film, which is actually a good point made in Malcolm's whole breakdown about the review. Is that look at the re- the reviews of Malcolm and Marie on in the real world are the same as the reviews of Malcolm's movie in the thing. Really, it's, like, it's nice, but it's too much of a breakdown on the technical aspects instead of the emotion. Like he said, mm-hmm. like no one's talking about Imani. But you know what? Maybe they would have talked about Imani if you would have cast Marie. Mm-hmm. But you ain't give them nothing to work with. You gave them Tay-Tay. And so now <laughs> they ain't got nothing to do but to break down the technical aspects of this film. You failed in that regard. Right. But then to read the, you know, to read the actual Washington Post and they're just like, you know, we enjoy the French New Wave style. And it was. It was beautiful. Like as a movie lover... I, I caught it right away. I was like, ooh, this is like a one-taker. It's like, it's got the real French vibe. It, it, they're, they, they're arguing like French people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's beautiful. I love what this is inspired by. But they feel like they didn't get anything from it. And I'm like, that's what's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get anything from this film. Right. You're supposed to feel like Marie. This is a movie sympathizing with Marie. This has mm-hmm. Malcolm is more of a background character. He he's the antagonist, mm-hmm. but Marie is your hero. And so for her to get that empty thank you in the end, it's like we leave with that same empty feeling. Yeah. Like there is no closure. There probably will never be any closure. And mm-hmm. we don't even know if Marie's going to just figure out and just get the hell out from under this dude. Right. For or, all we know, she stood. <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like if, you're, if your girl goes to bed with you and y'all had a big fight and the next day she's up and she's staring off in the distance outside... <laughs> I it's think I'll, good. yeah, I safely assume that it's over. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna walk out. I'm gonna put my hand on her shoulder, and I'm gonna say, "Do we have to get lawyers?" <laughs> you know, like it's 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 you know we can't now we can't we can't escape it now. Now I know you're hurt, and I know that this thank you that I said at the end was really nothing. I think that was like Malcolm at the end. It was like ah, this is proof positive that that thank you really was nothing at that point. Like yeah. I like, yeah, I, I don't know what to say, you know, like <laughs> say nothing, 
I know you're bad at it, but like say nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good movie. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, it was triggering to me because I feel like I've been in a, you know, on the other side of a narcissist relationship. Like I've dealt with someone who's been that way. So like it kind of triggered me in that aspect. But then also it's like I'm no longer in it. So it's like I can look back and be like, you see, you're doing much fucking better. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're, we're glowing up on this side because that bullshit was just it was too much at that point. And I, you know, as a, as a man, I look at it and I'm like, you know, how many of my friends fight like this in their relationships? Mm-hmm. And like, I wouldn't even say friends, right? Because I don't think any of my friends really do, but I know men who have these kinds of problems in their relationships. And it's just like, I bet, like my mother says, like, I bet a dollar to a bucket of shit. That, like, it's you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you are beating up on this woman and she's not taking your shit. Right. And that's the reason why your fights are always so nasty. Is that you can't hack being responsible for what you say and what you do. Mm -hmm. You think that you can say all of this, you can do all of this, and you think that I'm sorry and some sex is going to fix this. Right. You're listening to one too many rap songs. <laughs> like, it just don't work like that. Like, you ever tried to roll over and touch your girl after a fight and she says, no. <laughs> that shit like is it, common. It's and common. And it's a, it's a true no means. Like, that's a no. Like, you mm-hmm. know that that's no. And you roll your ass right back over and you just like, oh, damn. <laughs> you do the usher shit. Like, oh, damn, baby. I know I hurt you. You know, you just like, like, nah, listen, like too little, too late. And it's, and it, it's, it's crazy because more people, that's what I didn't get about the reviews. It was like, you should be able to see yourself in these characters. Mm-hmm. We're not movie directors and we're not actresses that are troubled all the time, but like we're humans and right. humans will fight like this, especially when one, like, you know, Marie really values Malcolm. Mm-hmm. But does Malcolm really value Marie? He, She was just one of the many broken women that he dated. And for him to say that was like, what are you doing dating broken women? Are you a predator? Right. Is that <laughs> is that what you're admitting to right now? You're an emotional predator? But it kind of gave everything that Marie was saying some validity because it's like you don't have any experiences of your own. So the way you gain experiences is through all of these broken women. Exactly. It gives you no voice. The only authenticity you have is authenticity you gain through others. Mm-hmm. And so who are you, Malcolm? You know, like, it's like, even then, like if I were Marie, I would already be wanting to, I would already be making an exit strategy because I don't even think I'm even talking to a person here. Right. I'm dealing with a mirror. This is why this dude's so upset. Mm-hmm. Is that all he is is a mirror of my emotions. So if I'm angry about what's going on here, he's gonna be mad. Watch this be another one of his movies. <laughs> Watch our fight be another one of his damn mm-hmm. movies. Be in one of his movies. Yeah, for sure. For sure, because you don't know anything else. There's no voice of yours. You do no real research. You just keep on finding these broken women and try to fucking make a career out of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I and and I was actually 
with a woman watching this movie and she turns around and she looks at me and goes or put him in a song <laughs> and, and i'm just like you would never know if you were in a song <laughs> and she was just like i was like because i don't like even if they made me make this if they made me feel the same feeling they're all different women like i've right. dated i've dated rich women i've dated not rich women i've dated you know i've i've dated thotties i mean <laughs> ain't nothing wrong i don't judge i don't judge right. man like like i don't care if you gets around man if we have a good time we have a good time like mm-hmm. the minute you want to keep getting around go ahead like we don't got to be in a relationship you know but the thing is is like that diversity is not because i need shit to rap about right like shit, I, I I could rap about being in a botanica. I could rap about plants and and tea and coffee and shit. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't have to rap about your pain in order to get recognition. Exactly. And so if I put you in a song, that is because you've stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And it ain't never gonna be some. We ain't never talking about the nail clippers and and none of that shit. Right. Like. If we're not going to go into those dark, you don't share those dark things with me so that I could have a voice out there. Mm-hmm. Like you share those things with me because I should be able to help you. I should be able to deal with that shit with you. Exactly. You know, like it should never be a source of my identity. Like, and that's, I think that's one of those things that's specific to the movie because I'm not sure if there's dudes, like there are dudes who just date broken women because they like the control. The control they, of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They like being looked up to, even if they don't have anything to look up to. Yeah. Like, they, they like to also do what Malcolm did is push their, in, put the women's insecurities on them. So like, if we're in an argument, I'm going to tell you all the bullshit that you're insecure about so you can feel like shit. Like that, that's a big thing. And you can't actually crack me. But Marie just built different mm-hmm. because it was just like, bro, you know, everybody could say whatever they want, right? Everybody could praise you however however the hell they want. But I know the truth. And the truth is, is you are lacking a voice. Mm-hmm. You corny, bro. Like, you corny. <laughs> and like, and, and anyone's going to say that. The, the, the lady from the LA Times, like they both was bringing that lady up because that lady from the LA Times is actually... Like a metaphor for what the outside world sees him as. Right. And that's why he was so mad. Because it was like, yo, the lady from the LA Times think you whack. <laughs> so it ain't just me. Right. Like, like we, you know, 5,000 naked Frenchmen can't be wrong. And we all out here bare ass, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, you the only one out there with a robe on. So you the crazy one. Like, you the one in denial. You know, <laughs> like, you, you know... It's, Damn, Malcolm, tough break, kid. Like, yeah, he was definitely the um, antagonist in the film. And I tried to go in, like, watching the movie, like, with an open mind. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna side with Marie from the get, but like, nah. Like, she was. <laughs> I literally started in the middle. I, I was like, I don't know what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. We, we're we're in a cold open. I I don't know where we're going. <laughs> the the trailer the trailer looked like a beautiful date night. Mm-hmm. Like. Me and my date both looked at each other and were just like, where is the romance? <laughs> like, we're waiting for the romance to happen. And right. it's just like, it's, I think it's, the romance was over 
three days ago mm-hmm. and now they're at the end of their relationship i think <laughs> like maybe like an hour in it was like all right, i i don't think we're getting any romance tonight babe <laughs> like I, I, like this ain't this ain't gonna make us like you know this is gonna make us talk for another three hours right, like we right. ain't go but this ain't gonna make us want to cuddle like we go, we we got some things we need to discuss because this, this right here on on this, this is not what we're doing. Right, like, we're gonna have to make sure that we don't get like that. So let's just talk about this real quick, okay? Let's get this like, all out on the table. I'm like, I can assure you, I'm the softest person on planet Earth. I think that before I bring up the nail clippers, I'll run a hot bath for my damn self and just be like, yeah, you know what, babe? I think we both need to just chill out. And we'll talk about it in the morning (laughs) when we're both like we down from this energy. You can formulate your thoughts. I can formulate mine and we'll figure it out. Definitely. definitely. But that 130 in the morning thing is not that's a headache waiting to happen. And I think we should leave that in our early 20s and approach our older lives mm-hmm. and the, the also like another dynamic is like she's sober right and he's clearly been drinking so it's like also arguing with someone when you're completely sober who's been drinking and he's just all sloppy and the scene when he was eating the mac and cheese was so disgusting to me i was just like can you not eat like a fucking pig like it was just so nasty I think that the mac and cheese was actually a very good indicator of the kind of man that Malcolm is, which is not necessarily a man at all, more mm. like a man child. Like he's a man, he takes care of certain responsibilities and whatnot, but at the same time, he's a child where like you can make him a, a bowl of craft mac and cheese and he'll just be like, yeah, babe. I'm going to tear this shit up. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and but they said it was great and they and they love I would expect a 12-year-old boy coming home from peewee football mm. to eat mac and cheese like that and speak with that level of energy. Right. Like, first of all, I like I said like I said on Instagram, it was like, man, if you're making me craft mac and cheese, I know, I know you're upset. Right. Because I don't like that shit. <laughs> it's not good at all. So it's almost like you're spitefully feeding me. Babe, what is wrong? Mm-hmm. You usually put a little grated parmesan in there. You usually make it with the lumash and not and not the macaroni. Like we don't never the box was for the apocalypse, remember? <laughs> this is just in case. Yeah, why why did you go in there? Why did you do that? Babe, babe, was it Bob? Was it Bob? As soon as I see that mac and cheese, like was it Bob? Like <laughs> was it Bob? <laughs> Bob doesn't get the rec- enough recognition in this movie for his role in Marie's attitude. Because Bob was the one that set her off. Bob was like, I know it bothered you that he didn't thank you. You know, Bob. You know, Bob. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Because because when I get back to that house in Joshua Tree, I'm going to ream his ass. <laughs> All right. So... We have been chatting, chatting, chatting. So (laughs) we're going to end it right here. But before I do, tell my listeners where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, of course, where I am going in on a variety of things. That is at Tokyo Pro. Um, I'm also I'm Tokyo Pro on all platforms. Uh, 
you can find my music streaming on all platforms. Uh, and yeah, you know, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> I love to talk, apparently, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, as always, everything will be linked down below. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Do I Look Fat podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, underscore Steffi Kiss, S-T-E-P-H-Y-K-I-S-S, and the Do I Look Fat pod, exactly how it sounds. Um, I'll see you next Fine and Thick Friday. Bye.